0: it's time to take the quiz five questions five minutes a day five days a week
1: take the quiz every weekday at the quiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did play share and of course listen to the quiz at the quiz.fox
2: live from the fox news radio studios in new york city fresh off the set of fox and friends it's america's receptive voice brian kilmeade
3: I hope not. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade Cho. Thanks so much for listening. one 408 I'll take a lot of your calls. I know you have a lot to say, and there's a lot breaking during their show. And then uh, over, the, over the last 24 hours, we're still following what's happening over in Canada. We're still seeing how it's affecting us here at home. And we're also exploring the fact that these, this uh, Freedom Caravan is uh, threatening to start again in Southern California and possibly ring around the Super Bowl. Because we want our freedoms back as a country and these truckers are just the ones to do it. Adam Curry's gonna be with us at the bottom of the air. We'll get his take on this. One of the most successful uh, one of the most successful podcasts in the country. He's also a former MTV, MTV VJ. He'll be with us too. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
4: Number three. This morning marks the fifth day of the nation's most lucrative trade route remaining closed as Canadian protesters blockade the Ambassador Bridge. It's forcing truckers to drive to a different, smaller border crossing about two hours outside of Detroit.
3: Freedom Convoy coming to the Super Bowl near you. That's the Homeland Security Report talking about the incredible trucker-inspired blockade That has virtually shut down Canada as they demand freedom from the COVID crackdowns. And by the way, so do we. Even though restrictions in four provinces have been lifted, trade between our two countries has basically ground to a halt. I'm not kidding. They're blocking the bridges as the White House arrogantly tells Trudeau to break it up and end it.
5: Number
6: two, Mr. President, in recent days, we've seen numerous governors from blue states roll back indoor mask requirements, essentially getting ahead of the federal government, the CDC. Are those governors wrong?
5: Well, it's hard to say whether they're wrong. Here's the science is saying now that masks work, masks make a difference.
3: Uh, he doesn't want to say they're wrong because they're Democrats. What's the truth? That's what Joe Biden is saying to governors rapidly taking away the pandemic restrictions. His What's the rush, I should say? His detached, ambivalent approach defies science and enrages me as he just does not know the sacrifice Americans have made for apparently no reason while kids still wallow in masks in school.
2: Number one.
6: I just want to clarify, are you rejecting the conclusions or the the accounts that are in this Army report? I'm rejecting them.
3: Really? Not good. You just heard part of the defiant answers to NBC's Lester Hall, I'll bring you more and dive into Biden's terrible approval ratings. And when he said he he is objecting to them, he's talking about the Pentagon report about what took place leading up to the catastrophic uh, exit from Afghanistan. So he's basically calling them liars as uh, interest rates uh, threatening to go up because inflation is going flying up. And we'll talk about that. So inflation is affecting all of you. I don't even need to ask. The question is, how can you absorb it? If you're one, not one of eight of ten Americans living paycheck to paycheck, you don't really feel inflation that much. If you're not really worried about how much the bread is and the gas is, it's like, wow, that's, this is a disturbing. Whose fault is it? But if you're actually living on a tight budget and you're saying to yourself, that's how much it is to go out to eat? That's how much it is to fill up my car? I just went shopping. I have two bags. I used to have three, and I spent more money than I did. And President Biden said flat out it's not. It's going to be transitory a year and a half ago, and it is not. It's now 7.5 percent. When he took office, it was 1.4 percent. So here's the question
5: to Lester Holt. Cut one.
6: So when do you when, – when can Americans expect some relief from this soaring inflation?
5: According to Nobel laureates, 14 of them that contacted me and a number of corporate leaders – it's hard to be able to start to taper off as we go through this year.
3: Yeah, uh, but he said it was transitory, right? Remember this? This
5: is July, cut two. Some folks have raised worries that this could be a sign of persistent inflation. Our experts believe, and the data shows, that most of the price increases we've seen are, were expected and are expected to be temporary.
3: Yeah, well, when uh, that was July, obviously he is wrong. So then the president was pressed about the inflation rate, which went up to 7.5% hours before. He probably would have loved to talk to Lester Hall the week before when he added 400,000 jobs. And listen, I'm pulling for the economy. I don't care. Uh, If you're doing the right things, you're allowing us to drill, you're getting rid of trade restrictions, you're pushing for manufacturing and bringing it home, and if inflation slightly goes up and you work with the Fed on interest rates, at least you're hustling. Instead, he's actually going to events, pushing to spend more. He's still on, on the folly, the Don Quixote task, of pushing for Build Back Better. When Joe Manchin said it's not going to happen, and inflation should say you don't want to spend another $1.4 which is really $4 trillion. So listen to Joe Biden again, get a little testy when press. Cut three.
6: I think it was back in July you said inflation was going to be temporary. I think a lot of Americans are wondering what your definition of temporary is.
5: Well, you're being a wise guy with me a little bit. Uh, and I understand that's your job. But look, uh, at the time, what happened was the uh, let's look at the reason for the inflation. The reason for the inflation is the supply chains were cut off, meaning that the products, for example, automobiles, The lack of computer chips to be able to build those automobiles so they could function. They need those computer chips. They were not available. So what happens? The number of cars were reduced. The new cars reduced. It made up at one point one-third the cost of inflation because the price of automobiles were up.
3: Okay, thanks for that. Uh, So that explains used cars. Does that explain new cars up 12%? Shelter, you know, whether it's that tent under the bridge... Or whether it's uh, the place you're renting, up 5%. Well, it's not that bad. Electricity up 14%. That's significant. Energy prices up 27%. That's self-inflicted, as is gasoline, up 40%. Overall, whether you have diesel, gas, or oil, 40%. And used cars, which he was just referring to, 40%. Paying more for food? You betcha. Overall, up 7%. uh, Home food, if you're cooking at home, 7.4%. Eating out, 6.4%. So all this is affecting his numbers. He's now at 39%. A very friendly CNN poll has him at 41%. But some of the numbers in the CNN poll have to be really concerning to the White House. Part of the reason why you see... Stacey Abrams not show up when the president appears in Georgia. Part of the reason why you don't see you see Beto O'Rourke say, "Don't help me, Democrats," and I'm now pro gun and pro wall because I want to be the next governor of Texas. That means Joe Biden. I don't want you to come to Texas, where he always claimed he was making inroads and a chance to take it. What could be done about this? What could be done? Mark Penn was on with Laura Ingraham. You know, he's a longtime Clinton pollster, and he looked at the numbers. And just to give you an idea what these CNN numbers play and and how uh, bad it is, I mean, the numbers for Gallup, for example, um, the Gallup poll says 82 percent of Americans feel that the country is heading, uh, is on the wrong track right now. That's pretty good. And being sarcastic there in terms of his own poll numbers, as I mentioned, it's at 41 percent. Where are his polls Uh, in terms of disapproval? Fifty six percent disapprove. Of the president, so of the country. Uh, do you approve of the way President Biden is handling his job as president? The words 58%. Listen to this. What has uh, President Biden done that you approve of? 56% say nothing at all. 15% say the economy. 6% say the coronavirus. Wow. Personal traits, 4%, because I find him totally unlikable. Foreign policy, 4%. Other issues, 2%. So these are hideous numbers. So Mark Penn was asked, what could you do about this if you're him? Cut seven.
7: Inflation, the economy, immigration, crime, the virus, all of these issues seem out of control. And the president and the White House don't seem in control of any of them. And that was capped off today with 7.5 percent inflation. This is a dire situation if you're in the White House. I have seen something like this before. It does happen to presidents. But they've got to act, they've got to lead, and we have not seen anything right now that is a recognition of the of these kinds of numbers and the kinds of attitudes and discontent we see in America right now.
3: And it doesn't look like he's doing anything, and he has no staff around him. He's totally alone. Uh, the other area, and I'm going to get into this later, especially with Admiral Stavridis, or is he still on the show? Admiral Stavridis, he is. Okay, because a lot of times, yeah, a lot of times he cancels. He'll be on the, a different hour, but... Admiral Stavridis, uh, uh, I will go over that with him, but they did an after-action report in their hideous exit from Afghanistan, at which time they talk about him getting down to a troop level, ignoring other warning signs that Kabul was about to fall, not evacuating the embassy in time, not getting our people out with the uh, correct urgency, despite the fact that our military men and women were pushing him to do it and trying to tell him that, and he basically called the report wrong and a lie. Your move, Pentagon, do you have any pride at all? You sucked it up and dealt with what you knew were bad decisions before. Now when they go and do an after-action report and you tell the truth, he's saying you're lying. So I don't know how much longer you're going to take that. We'll consider it. Uh, The other big story uh, that we're talking about is what's happened with the COVID-19. 51% of the country says it's time to live with the virus. 48% say stopping the spread is key. So I know not the whole country is on the same page. But when it comes to kids— I believe you have two-thirds of our country on the same page. For me, a lot of these people don't want to go back to work because they don't want the discipline. They don't want to get into their clothes. They don't, Or they just have legitimate fear of getting on a train uh, or a plane or getting in their car and coming to work and being with other people. Go see a therapist and do what you have to do. But as a country, we don't have a choice. We have to get back to work. So we see the the, the uh, 11 now, because Nevada yesterday, uh, Maryland this morning, to a degree, they have set standards to going back to normalcy, getting the mass off kids in 11 Democratic states, not waiting for the White House to move. So he was asked about that. You know, what's going on? Why are these other states doing what they're doing? And what he said is, basically, I would have, a. if you read between the lines, I'd have no problem criticizing Yunkin and DeSantis but I have a little bit of an issue now because they're defying me, but I got to pretend like they're not. Cut,
6: cut eight. Are you afraid, though, that some states and, and cities are moving too quickly to loosen indoor mask mandates?
5: Well, you know, it's, uh, I've com- I committed that I would follow the science, the science as put forward by the CDC and the, and the, and the federal people. And uh, I think it's probably premature, but it's, you know, it's, it's a tough call. Cut
6: nine. Mr. President, in recent days, we've seen numerous governors from blue states roll back indoor mask requirements, essentially getting ahead of the federal government, the CDC. Are those governors wrong?
5: Well, it's hard to say whether they're wrong. Here's the science is saying now that masks work, masks make a difference. No, then it's
3: not. And that's the whole thing. We have found out that all the masking would shut kids up, that it's on their chin, they're getting yelled at, told to stay home, thrown off planes. Not even effective to stop it. It's a feel good method, unless you have an N95 mask, and you can keep that unless I decide to be a surgeon. Here's Dr. Marty McCary. Between the vaccine mandates, between the ignoring of natural immunity, and the inadequacy of the average mask, this is politics. Cut 13. These are
8: manufactured criteria to achieve something which, you know, for which the person setting the rules is both the arsonist and the firefighter, the risk is not equally distributed in the population. And this idea that we have to vaccinate every single human being down to a newborn in order to get over this pandemic is one that's no longer supported by the science.
3: Right. And the science from Johns Hopkins, not exactly a fly by night operation, I didn't think. one 7669 So we're looking at all these things, too, and I think I'm most fascinated on this COVID-19 story is the Freedom Convoy. Hundreds of thousands of demonstrators in in trucks have been paralyzing the streets of downtown Ottawa. I've seen that. But what you probably don't see but hear about uh, are three border crossings that they have closed. Windsor uh, at Coutts, Alberta, opposite Montana, and Emerson, Manitoba, across from North Dakota. And they basically are halting traffic and trade between the two countries Directly affecting, and I know some people, uh, we, we have listeners all around the country. I don't want you to feel the pain, but our leaders have to. That's the only way. And to marginalize these truck drivers and saying they're extremists or white supremacists, we're not going to buy it. Nobody buys all this, you're a, a terrorist, you're a white supremacist, because you don't want to be locked down while, you, while your leader does yoga and sits there in his mansion, your life is ruined or you're kicked out of your job because you do not want to get a vaccine that just came on to the scene. Here is John, uh, Jim Zinger. He's a Canadian trucker. Just an average guy doing an extraordinary thing. Cut 19.
5: All these global leaders have been uh, hurting the supply chain for the last two years,
9: and uh, we're just supporting it. If we have to live without with a few borders closed, uh, for now, it, we'll all be supporting that because it's for a good cause.
10: He
3: went on. Cut 20.
10: With America being the forefront of freedom, all right, we've always... It's in my blood to fight for what's right. And I believe that having the freedom of choice, which our Canadian brethren is actually just trying to get and receive, I think that it's a no-brainer. You know, why not stand on the forefront with those guys and show our solidarity with that country and say, hey, we are against mandates. We are against force. We are against tyranny of government. We want the same thing that everybody else wakes up and deserves. That is the freedom of choice. So I've always been growing up to know that it's my body, my choice. What's going on now?
3: What's going on now is these leaders are frustrated because no one's listening to them anywhere. Even Doug Ford, a conservative in Ontario, he wants me, he wants to make a move to cut off the funding for the protesters uh, by successfully asking a court to freeze the millions of dollars in their give, send, go page and meanwhile Trudeau is getting pressure from our government to end this blockade and they're concerned it's going to spread beyond their bo- our borders uh into the rest of the hemisphere in France they're moving against it already in a preventive uh in a preventive way so i am uh, i am all with these truckers we did some interviews with them today uh they are well meaning people they don't have a lot of means. They got They deserve that money. People have pledged that money. They have no right to take that money. People are allowed to protest, I think even in Canada, and they are 100% right. How do you feel? Back in a moment, one 866 408 Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Right
3: now, people in Windsor are suffering and losing their jobs because they can't get auto parts across the Ambassador Bridge. And this conservative party that supports these blockades won't even stand up and say, enough is enough, it's time to go home. Really? Why don't you say enough is enough, enough with the restrictions? Does he not understand that, that that's an option? What an arrogant Justin Trudeau of Canada. Never liked that guy. Uh, He's totally in love with himself for no reason. Uh, Let's go out to Leanne. Is listening in Panama City, Florida. Hey, Leanne.
1: Hey, how are you doing? Good. What's on your mind? I'm 100% supportive of standing up for your rights, obviously. Um, But I just wish it wasn't our truckers doing it because we already are bottlenecked at the port. We already, I mean, they're our backbone right now. I, I feel like someone else should stand up because I think we need to think ahead um, and see where inflation's already headed and then see what that's going to do if not only Canada, but, uh, you know, we're bottled back up with our truckers. And I don't feel it's right to the port workers and things like that, but I do feel like we should stand up because obviously, you know, we have people that are now seeing all the science and they're already getting all the reports back from all this stuff and they realize that it's nothing. And oh,
3: I'm I know. for that. And Leanne, uh, you're not getting much reports about people, about these Hopkins reports and others that say the masks don't work, natural immunity does. And also went on to say that all these restrictions, not really saving lives. Not hearing enough about that. And I don't know why.
2: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
7: The littlest Wahlberg battling Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, churning out some good vibrations there in the top spot on the countdown this week. And that's the whole enchilada. Please check us out next week to see if Prince of the New Power Generation or John Mellencamp can make it to the
3: top 20. As always, the top 20 are determined by compiling national album sales, video airplay, MTV
7: requests, and MTV research. Until next time, I'm Adam Curry reminding you to look to the left, look to the right, cross the corner, and walk with the light. What has gotten into me?
11: I'll see you.
3: Adam Curry, that's why he was the best VJ MTV ever had. Co-host of the No Agenda podcast. Adam, that was 1991. Do you remember that?
7: Oh, good morning, Brian. Unfortunately, yes, but fortunately, I still have all my hair.
3: Oh, that's good news. That's very good news. Uh, If not, I'm sure you would have adjusted and, and looked in fashion uh, and adjusted the look altogether. Adam, you realize uh, inflation was even low uh, was lower back then than it is now. We have to go back to the 80s. People will go back to the 80s to see what was the hot song then, Thriller and others, to see when inflation was at
7: 7.5%. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, I think that uh, this was completely expected, not because of some comeback uh, reopening trade or or supply chains and demand, It appears, in in my personal opinion, Brian, I'm a conspiracy therapist. Uh, This entire lockdown, certainly, and the closing of the economy was a financial issue that had to be uh, solved. It certainly wasn't for our health, as Johns Hopkins has now uh, clearly shown, that they were pretty much ineffective. So now that uh, restrictions are coming off, I think we're going to see a lot of turmoil uh, ahead in the financial markets. Adam,
3: one thing I could say for sure is that the people have had it. I mean you have 11 states now forcing their governors to open up because people stop listening and now you have a whole nation of Canada who is more locked down than us protesting it began with truckers but don't you agree this has gotten so much bigger
7: Oh it, it, it's yes it is and the problem is that the in general the mainstream globally is not showing what's really happening. I grew up in the Netherlands. My daughter uh, lives in Rotterdam at the moment. I have friends in Germany, in France, in Spain, in Italy, a family in Italy. And it is exactly the same. The protests are everywhere. You never see the regularity. You never see the size. And really, I think we're seeing the pushback from the middle-class working people who have been pushed down by the ruling class, who used to be middle-class working people, who have just who hate them I think and now and now the the payback is coming here's what Justin Trudeau
3: said now keep in mind they've shut down two bridges main thoroughfares for trade with this country called the United States and so now the trucks are gum, are, are jamming up the bridges they're forcing uh, some of these uh temporary closures in Ford and Toyota uh to shut down because you can't get a can't get into Michigan for the most part Here's what the—instead of saying, wow, you know what's going on here? Let's just paint everybody as extremists. Justin Trudeau continues to double and triple down from an undisclosed location. Cut 18. Right now, people in Windsor are suffering and losing their jobs because they can't get auto parts across the Ambassador Bridge. And this conservative party that supports these blockades won't even stand up and say, enough is enough. It's time to go home.
7: But does he not understand— (laughs) <laughs> no, he he even calls himself a, quote, relationships manager. He he is really just obviously a, a, a pretty man who is there to communicate and to uh, take the blows. It's not that much different than our president, except, uh, you know, the obvious uh, cognition.
3: How about this, Adam? We're talking to Adam Curry, who's got a great podcast, No Agenda. Adam, but you have your agenda today. Thankfully, I made your list of things to do and places to be. So our our president basically is surprised and feels that we're opening up a little bit too soon here in this country, and reportedly the White House is pressuring Canada to crack down on the truckers. I mean, don't you think that that is a a form of meddling that is unacceptable?
7: Well, it it shows and solidifies the the theory that this is a— Yeah, this is this is this is clearly uh, the uh, the globalist making their move and uh, trying to keep the plebs down and under control. And this was possible. I mean, just briefly, if you look at the culture of countries, how they've responded in uh, to these uh, these restrictions is kind of their culture. So you have Australia, love them, has always been a prison colony. They went straight into lock us down completely. The Netherlands. They capitulated in World War II within 24 hours, did the same, have a very strong resistance, same for the French. In America, we typically come back shooting, but we haven't been pushed far enough. In Canada, they complain, and this time they mean
3: it. Absolutely. So, Adam, before I go any further and talk about, I saw you at the Joe Rogan podcast, just about you. What have you been doing uh, since MTV, and and what is your uh, where are you living now?
7: I'm living uh, uh, about 90 miles west of Austin, Texas. I, I had to leave Austin uh, after 11 years to re enter the state of Texas, now in the hill country. Um, I, I uh, invented podcasting with Dave Weiner in uh, 2004 and uh, spent quite a while helping that uh, flourish. And then two years ago, uh, right after I did my first Joe Rogan appearance, I saw what was happening. It was just before they started. Uh, Apple actually started to deplatform a whole bunch of podcasts, and they started podcasting 2.0. We now have taken away control back from Apple. We have 15 new apps, which uh, makes the podcast you love uncancelable, amongst many other features. And you can find one at newpodcastapps.com. It's all open source, open project. We're protecting, extending. Uh, and preserving podcasting as a platform for free speech.
3: So, Adam, for a non-techie like me, what does it mean you pulled it away from Apple? means I don't have to go to the App Store to download your podcast?
7: Correct. You can go to newpodcastapps.com. There's lots of apps. Some of them are current apps, but not the legacy apps. So Apple and Spotify, they want control over podcasting. They have no features. They take you down at your whim. We have over 4 million podcasts in the index more than Apple and Spotify have, and any app that uses podcast index, um, that is going to be a podcast that will not be taken down um, for any reason. That's just, We're just an index. We're like the Google of podcasts.
3: So when you, when you said uh, you saw what was happening to Joe Rogan two years ago, you mean had his rise or his impact or the fact is that people were trying – they knew he was uncontrollable?
7: Both. Um, the the first part I knew Joe was going to leave. That meant we need new Joe Rogans, and they need to be protected. What I also saw is that Apple and and Facebook and um, uh, Google, I think, but there was one night coordinated takedown of about ten different podcasts, and Apple was a part of that. And so when you have a cartel doing that. I'm just not going to stand for that. Podcasting is an open protocol; it's decentralized by nature. So we just have to make sure people have different apps to get it without the control from Silicon Valley.
3: Very interesting. Uh, first off, so Joe Rogan in particular, you think that he was blindsided by this, by the 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 so-called, uh, which seems to be a coordinated attack on his podcast.
7: Um, here, here's what I think happened. It's two factions. I mean, obviously, we have the the woke faction who were always making problems for him. But the mainstream news media really didn't do too much with that until Joe Rogan started through the sheer, sheer size of his audience, possibly convincing people not to purchase pharmaceutical products. That's when their lackeys in the mainstream got activated. That's when it started. So I wanted you to hear
3: what he said the other day just about what's been happening to him. You know, they cut out a whole bunch of things, use him, uh, a montage of him using the N-word in the past. Uh, as you know, that he's multifaceted. He's stand-up comedian, UFC commentator, podcaster. Probably does a lot of other stuff, too. Here's, one of these fighters just came to his, de- uh, to, uh, to his defense at a press conference yesterday. Listen.
8: And, uh, Dana, I had a question for you around uh, Joe Rogan. There's been
10: a lot of controversy uh, with him... Uh. First off, let me take this one. Hold up. I'm black. I can take this one. Look.
5: Okay. Uh, what,
10: what were no, no. There's a, there's a lot of cunts in this game. There's a lot of snakes in this game. I've been in this fight game since 2008. And Joe Rogan is one of the nicest, coolest, humble motherfuckers I've had the pleasure of working with. Understand that. And you know it's just Fuck the noise, man. You know what they're trying to do. You can't control the man, and he's got the biggest platform in the world right now, so that's my nigga Joe Rogan. Fuck the noise.
7: <laughs> you understand that sentiment, right? Of course, and and it just kind of goes back to the middle the middle class, working middle class, being hated by the ruling class. Joe, besides indeed having launched maybe 50 careers with podcasts in his over 10 years. He is indeed one of the nicest men I've ever met. He literally fought himself as an MMA fighter to where he is today, and they hate him. He, he embodies that guy. He is the guy who's moving your refrigerator and your color TV in the Money for Nothing video. This is why the ruling class hate this guy, because the, the, the working class loves him.
3: Here he, here he is uh, on a, a platform I, I don't think you're too happy with, but I want to get your take on how Spotify has handled this. But here's Joe Rogan, cut 14. But I think
8: the problem what we're dealing with these news sources is the same kind of problem we're talking about The View and the same kind of problem when they're talking about me is that the answer to, like, if people, more p- people believe me or trust me or want to listen to me talk, the answer is not to silence me. The answer is to you to do better. The answer is for you to have better arguments. When you're on television talking about how I'm taking horse paste and you know that's not true. I'm taking horse dewormer. Instead of saying, which you should have said, how did Joe Rogan get better so quick?
3: Right. That's the logic of Joe Rogan's approach to podcasting. And uh <laughs> he's
7: right about the criticism. Exactly. It, well, exactly, and that's what it should be. You know, there's there's no reason that you shouldn't be able to hate something and tell people about it or love something and tell people about it. This is about control. And yes, while Joe is at Spotify, they will always have some level of control. He will always have to apply some level of self-censorship. But the beauty is everybody knows, including Spotify, including the people who want him gone, that it doesn't matter if he leaves Spotify and just sets up a a server tomorrow, he'll have the same audience, and he'll have ample means of making money. So this is, uh, we just need to make sure he's protected now.
3: In what way? Because they've already taken down some of his podcasts, and now they have a disclaimer on some of the interviews that they deem controversial.
7: We need to protect his sanity. We need need to make sure he knows that he's loved, appreciated, and respected.
3: True. Here's what he went on to say after that.
8: Cut 15. This is my perspective. If you're in business and your business is the news and you want to get more people to pay attention, you should be honest. And my my f- thoughts for CNN, my advice to them. I don't hate CNN. I used to go to them every day for the news until they started fucking hating on me. But if, <laughs> if you want to do better, just f- change your model. Change yeah. the way you do it. Stop this editorial perspective with guys like Brian Stelter and Don Lemon that nobody listens to. I nobody said- is like chiming in saying, "Oh yeah," Finally, we get the voice of reason. Nobody thinks that.
3: And he's 100% right. He gets, what, uh, 11 million or 14 million downloads? They're getting 500,000 people watching them around the globe. They're not even in the same league.
7: Exactly the reason why the number one financier of cable news uh, and of television in general is the pharmaceutical industry. Look at the ads. They will not have it that someone is promoting and that's why CNN blatantly lied. They couldn't bring themselves to, to speak a medical name as ivermectin. They had to. And even when Joe had Sanjay Gupta on and said, "Why did you lie?" He said, uh, 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 "I don't know." The answer is, the, the news, television news, certainly is mainly under control by the pharmaceutical companies. Do not talk against their products. We will send our lackeys after you. That's what it is.
3: Right. And are you concerned overall, being that you're in this business from the from the, as as one of the founders, the Marco Polo. Are you concerned no, about, this, about this uh, standoff we seem to be in the middle of right now?
7: No, because we, we will always win the standoff. On, on a technical level, there's no way they can, they can get rid of us. It's, it's just as stupid as thinking you can remove Bitcoin. Um, but, uh, but I'm more afraid now of just the things our government is saying. If you look at that you know, terrorism alert from the Department of Homeland Security, this is now going into places that are very dark.
3: It, uh, okay, uh, you mean you're talking about the, the truckers coming in at Homeland Security to stop stop the Security. Super Bowl, the truckers going to the Super Bowl, right?
7: Well, no, this, this entire – there's a huge bulletin DHS put out and said, hey, people who are talking about uh, COVID-19 and these are uh, spurring on to domestic violent extremists, uh, questioning pharmaceutical narrative. It's all in there, Brian. The, the government is out of control. Uh, and what I'm what I'm pleased
3: at is it seems like it's a bottom up transfer out of this with Omicron dipping. There is no rationalization they could possibly keep us from going to school without masks, going on planes without masks, being able to go to open up that restaurant, being able to uh, being able to do things without vaccines. And I think the most uh, aggravating thing that came across over the last few hours is it looks like at the Oscars, all they need, these celebrities, is a test and they can sit there without masks. But if you want to go watch any of the movies, you have to be vaccinated or you can't get into a theater. I mean, how, how do they expect yeah. to, uh, uh, us to digest that?
7: Well, we don't have to because, uh, Brian, you know, the science has changed now. You could now do one-way masking. You don't have to worry that much. This is the biggest hoax that has ever been perpetrated upon the American people, in particular – these 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 mandates, which are very arbitrary, the lockdowns, the closing of small business, an attack. I hope our truckers block every single interstate, every single roadway. I'll be out there making sandwiches. We need to get together because this has to stop.
3: Adam Curry, uh, you can go you'll look him up on No Agenda. And your podcast platform is?
7: Uh, just at noagendashow.net. On your, uh, and you uh, newpodcastapps.com apps.com. Yeah. Go to new podcast apps.com for a, for a, a brand new modern podcast app where your favorite podcast can't get canceled.
3: Go get them, Adam. Thanks so much. Great talking to you. You too, Brian. All right. 1-866-408-7669. I see your calls up there. We'll get to him. When we return. Brian Kilmeade. Show.
2: Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know.
6: It's Brian Kilmeade. It interviewed many military officials and officers who said the administration ignored the handwriting on the wall. Uh, another described trying to get folks in the embassy ready to evacuate, encountering uh, you know, people who were in, essentially in denial of, of this situation. Does any of that ring true to
5: you? No. No. That's not what I was told. Look, there was no good time to get out. But if we had not gotten out, they acknowledged that we would have had to put a hell of a lot more troops back in. And there was no way we were ever going to unite Ukraine. I mean, excuse me, Iraq, Afghanistan. No way that was going to happen. And so this is a much wiser thing to do.
6: I just want to clarify, are you rejecting the conclusions or the the accounts that are in this army report? I'm rejecting them.
3: That's unbelievable. They, that's what they didn't tell me. No, you were there. And if you weren't there, then someone else is running the government. He basically is calling the Pentagon report a lie. So you should fire everybody because that means they just embarrassed you, Mr. President, and lied about the biggest military disaster in American history and your role in it. So I love the fact that Lester Holt brings it up to him, but he left him totally off the hook. So you should follow up and saying so you're saying— that the generals that wrote this up and signed off on it, which is backed up in their sworn testimony, is all not true. And if that is indeed the case, why do they still have a job? Because they're lying about you. Is, it, is there a chance that you remember it and your memory down? Because we all saw the result. And we've never seen people more less prepared for a catastrophic result than you and everybody around you. This is so underplayed. you're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show, make sure you listen to and watch my show, 8 o'clock, Saturday, One Nation. Fox
12: News Channel.
2: From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Thanks so much for being here, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you live from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world, uh, where our mayor teared up yesterday thinking about how we failed our assailant. Uh, This would be criminal. We failed him on multiple multiple fronts. Well, I appreciate you having a motion. It's good to see somebody out there in the streets. Uh, But Mr. Mayor... I kind of think uh, we have victims to worry about first. I'd love you to shed a tear for the people that used to work at Rite Aid. They have to close it up because they've been ransacked. i love you to shed a tear because of the number of carjackings in the middle of the street. People have lost their cars, and for the money they get from insurance, can't rebuy them. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now, with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
4: Number three. This morning marks the fifth day of the nation's most lucrative trade route remaining closed as Canadian protesters blockade the Ambassador Bridge. It's forcing truckers to drive to a different, smaller border crossing about two hours outside of Detroit.
3: They're trying to send a message to the Freedom Convoy coming to the Super Bowl near you. That's the Homeland Security Report talking about the incredible trucker-inspired blockade that has virtually shut down Canada as they demand freedom from COVID crackdowns, which are illogical and, and really draconian. Even though the restrictions in four provinces have begun to be lifted, trade between our two countries has grounded to a virtual halt. And guess what? Our White House arrogantly telling their president, their prime minister, to break it up and end it.
6: Number two, Mr. President, in recent days, we've seen numerous governors from blue states roll back indoor mask requirements, essentially getting ahead of the federal government, the CDC. Are those governors wrong?
5: Well, it's hard to say whether they're wrong. Here's the science is saying now that masks work, masks make a difference.
3: Yeah, that's the president of the United States yesterday. What's the rush? That's what Joe Biden is saying to governors, rapidly taking away the pandemic restrictions. His detached ambivalent approach defies science and enrages me as he just does not understand the sacrifice all Americans have been made to ma- forced to make way too long for a reasons that defy science, don't underline science.
4: Number one.
6: I just want to clarify, are you rejecting the conclusions or the, the accounts that are in this Army report? I'm rejecting them.
3: Unbelievable. So the Army comes out with a report about the horrific departure from Afghanistan, and he just rejects them. I get a sense he didn't even read them. You just heard part of the defiant answers to NBC's Lester Hall. I'll bring you more on the dive into President Biden's terrible approval ratings, partially due to the rates of inflation eating away at America's collective wallets. With me right now is Geraldo Rivera. Geraldo, how much money do you have in your wallet?
11: I was just thinking that less than I had yesterday, Brian. Right, the, it's worth less. The, the purchasing power has eroded.
3: I could go weeks without actually using money. Do you, do you ever use money anymore?
11: I, I I'm a big tipper, and I, I love to tip. And I come with uh, when I come to New York, which is now weekly because of the five. I come with a, a pocket full of fives and tens because uh, I just feel that even though it's a relatively little amount to give someone a fiber or a ten spot. Uh, it's a it's a tradition. It's a kind of a Frank Sinatra kind of hey buddy, and so everybody uh, with the doorman, the driver, the uh, uh, you know the person that helps you with the bag upstairs, the, even the front desk. I try to I give everybody a little something. It's not much, but it's enough uh, that maybe they could right. buy a cup of coffee or or they could buy a lot less than they did yesterday. Yeah, 10%. it's
3: hard to Venmo somebody and get the same feeling, even though it's the same money.
11: It is. Right. It is. It is. Venmo doesn't have the same allure.
3: Uh Geraldo, I got to bring you to an area you know quite well in a country you know way, way too well, and that's Afghanistan. You know what a right. disaster it was. You know how inept everyone was. You know how the generals said, hey, you know, it wasn't my call. I had this troop level, and this is what I had to do. You know how the Secretary of State came out and said we had no idea Kabul will fall. Nobody did. But the report says there were indications and there were warnings, uh, and they go into great detail. That seemed to have eluded President Biden. Cut 27.
6: It, it interviewed many military officials and officers who said the administration ignored the handwriting on the wall. Uh, another described trying to get folks in the embassy ready to evacuate and uh, you know, people who were in, essentially in denial of, of the situation. Does any of that ring true to you?
5: No. No. That's not what I was told. Look, there was no good time to get out. But if we had not gotten out, they acknowledged that we would have had to put a hell of a lot more troops back in. And there was no way we were ever going to unite Ukraine. I mean, excuse me, Iraq, Afghanistan. No way that was going to happen. And so this is a much wiser thing to do. I just want to clarify,
6: are you rejecting the conclusions or the the accounts that are in this Army report? I'm
5: rejecting them.
11: Okay, Geraldo, what's the
5: next move now?
3: (laughs) What
11: what does the Army do now? You know, you have a lot of kids. I mean, not as many as me. But you know how you can't remember your kid's name, you call them the, sure. you know, you, you, you're you talking to Simone, and you say Sol or Isabella, right, or sometimes right. the, uh, the boy's name or girl. I mean, to hear the president of the United States, he, hear Lester Holt's fine question, and then say uh, about evacuating, starting with Ukraine, and then Iraq, and then Afghanistan, finally getting to Afghanistan, which is what the question obviously was about. So I feel so, I think that Joe Biden lately, has been uh, really dropping the ball in terms of his communication skills. He seems like an old man. I mean, he's only eight months older than I am, but he seems, uh, uh, you know, sometimes baffled. Uh, uh, he he makes a point and if he gets someone's name and I know that those are maybe superficial things, but to have a president without charisma, without verb, without the ability to use language to make his point is, is very unsettling. And I, uh, I feel bad for President Biden because he's his vice president, Kamala Harris, has some of the same uh or inherited it's different, but communication. I feel bad for us.
3: Uh, you know, Geraldo, I was thing. surprised I'm surprised you zeroed in on that. I was gonna be a bigger person and not. Uh but I, I want to just say even are though you, we screwed you up three distinct countries. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> okay. But but person? i exactly. I'm I'm gonna give him give him that. I will say that what he said, the Army report is not correct. That, to me, if I'm in the military already frustrated that my civilian command kept my troop tranks down to a level and my intelligence that I relayed was ignored and I watched the result, the worst decision in the history, operation the history of our country, I would, I would argue, and then you say, well, I don't believe the after-action report is true, you know the military is a way of getting their point across. So the intelligence community. What do you foresee is going to be the answer to Joe Biden for saying they lied?
11: Well, that's an excellent question. I don't know how many uh, Americans still have the same acute, uh, you know, concern about Afghanistan now. We did get out. We should have gotten out. Uh, It was asked backwards, as you know, how strongly I feel about, uh, you know, evacuating the military before you evacuate the civilians. It made no sense then, makes no sense now. Uh, I I believe that uh, uh, many people have moved on from Afghanistan just cuz they don't want to feel uh, think about it you got inflation you got covid you got all these other issues that are more urgent uh i again i, and I stress i'm glad we got out of afghanistan it's a horrible place i spent way too much time there uh in my life it uh, it, it disrupted my family too many people came home in pieces and uh uh you know, dead or injured uh, outside or inside uh we got nothing out of it. Uh, we get nothing out of a relationship now. I, I, I believe that the Taliban, uh, let the Taliban have it. Uh, you know, it's all there. But having said, uh, said know, that, let's... I
3: just want to drill down on, he just called our, our military liars. And I know two of the people that worked on this report and they did the Abbey Gate uh, specifically, what happened there with the explosion and the death of 13 and the wounding of over 100. And they went into great detail and if you wrote that report, Geraldo, and sat there and camouflage and did it and, and did all the interviews, and you watched the President of the United States basically say it's not true, you have pride. It's already bad enough, the suffering that went into that, knowing that you're attached to that. To me, you cannot, you have to call a press conference to either resign or say, I would just like to say that I stand by the accuracy of this report, that this, the White House ignored the 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 urgency of the embassy workers as well as people in the field. I mean, I, I just would not let that slide if at one point I, they have I, to stand I, up for themselves.
11: I I hear you 100 percent. I, I predict. With with a great degree of confidence that this will not be a major issue because nobody wants to talk about Afghanistan right now, it is too humiliating and it's the. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, unraveling, uh, and it's done. I I believe with inflation so urgent and with the truckers stopping trade with Canada uh, and with the mask and uh, vaccine mandates, you know, suddenly uh, on the verge of being abolished across the country, the Democratic governors leading the charge. There's a lot of urgency uh, that right now Americans have to deal with. I I sympathize. Uh, with uh, with you uh, with I with the authors of that military report the after action report I I totally get that historians and political scientists and others will uh, will read with great interest how we screwed that up uh, how the president screwed that up but I I think that his issues right now particularly his inability to communicate with any confidence what the country's going to do about all of these issues. Uh, I, I don't think that we're going to be obsessing about Afghanistan. Real
3: quick about Joe Rogan, what he's been through over the last two days. He seen to apologize to, uh, a lot of people don't think he should have, uh, including the former president, about uh, stuff he said in the past. And then people say that he's got a disclaimer now when he interviews uh, a doctor that somebody doesn't think is good. I don't know how they're going to do that. But he also is an MMA co- uh, commentator as well as being a stand-up comedian. And at a press conference yesterday, Dana White was introducing the fighters. One of them was Israel Adesina. And this is what he said when the question came on about Joe Rogan, who was was going to be a commentator at the event, Cut 30.
8: And uh, Dana, I I had a question for you
10: around uh, Joe Rogan. There's been a lot of controversy uh, with him. First off, let me take this one. Hold up, I'm black, I can take this one, look. Uh, what, what were no, you no, there's a, there's a lot of cunts in this game. There's a lot of snakes in this game. I've been in this fight game since 2008. And Joe Rogan is one of the nicest, coolest, humble motherfuckers I've had the pleasure of working with. Understand that. And you know, it's just, fuck the noise, man. You know what they're trying to do. You can't control the man. And he's got the biggest platform in the world right now. So that's my nigga Joe Rogan. Fuck the noise. That's well, how a lot of people feel. Could-
11: I think Joe Rogan should, uh, you know, put that in a time capsule. That's one of the nicest endorsements uh, and most sincere and believable endorsements of him. And uh, just generally, I think it's really wonderful. And I, I totally get that. I have no beef with Joe Rogan. I'm not a listener. Uh, if people are into it, let them be into it. I think that, you know, I've been on television a long time. All of those clips of me and every one of those things. When I got my nose broken, uh, you know, uh, when I opened Al Capone's vault, I get the clips exist. They will be there forever. The, uh, the people that want to delve into it to use anything I said to now embarrass me, uh, you have to live with your, your archives, Brian. And, right. uh, Joe Rogan has to live with his. He has to, and if, if people like that, Israel, uh, that fighter, I, I don't know him, but he was so articulate and, uh, sincere, um, you know, good for good for Joe Rogan that he has fans with that kind of loyalty.
3: Yeah, he's a fighter. Uh, and uh, real quick, I saw that you tweeted out this former uh, Alaska governor and VP candidate Sarah Palin kicking New York Times ass in their libel trial for the giant newspaper. It falsely claims Palin's rhetoric caused assassination for the uh, to kill assassination attempt to kill Gabby Gifford. Never apologized and never does unless forced. Hope she crushes them. And then it was written up today by uh, Eric Wimple. Oliver uh, Darcy writes of CNN, How did Sarah Palin do in the witness stand in the defamation suit against the Times? Not so well. If you ask Eric Wimple, Wimple wrote that Palin bombed in court on t- on Thursday. In other words, Palin's years as a conservative provocateur, TV personnel, and outspoken critic of the lamestream media have ill-prepared her for any venue in which the federal court Rules of evidence hold sway. Wimple added that this time Palin chose the wrong venue for her media critiques. Adoring ordinances at Fox don't stop and ask for citation specifics supporting evidence. But that's precisely what happened in the courtroom. So your lawyer is who's right.
11: Well, it depends on the jury, because if, if she's sincere, even if uninformed, uh, she got screwed by the New York Times. Like, I think if I got a second, I did uh, Hurricane Katrina. When I was coming out of New Orleans, I got a call from Sean Hannity. He said, did you see what the New York Times is saying about you? That uh, basically, that I staged a rescue uh, of of nuns who were trapped uh, by the flooding waters. Uh, And that I pushed aside a nun to get to it. (laughs) Uh, That's what the the author said, Alexander Stanley. Uh, It was absolutely false. It never happened. Uh, I told the New York Times it never happened. We gave them all of the footage, including the outtakes. The ombudsman at the Times reviewed it. He he agreed with me 100 percent, and it still took them weeks to grudgingly say, OK, the video doesn't support the New York Times contention. So it wasn't an, even an apology. It was that the, the videotape didn't support them. Right. So they're full of crap, the New York Times. They don't apologize. I hope she kicks their ass. Uh, what they did to her was was shameful. They admit that it was a mistake. They just say it wasn't a malicious mistake. Therefore, under Times Got versus you. Sullivan, it's not actionable. And it's, I, uh, right. Yeah, she should she should kick him right in the nuts.
3: Right. Uh, so real real quick, uh, you've never pushed a nun, though. You're gonna stand by that.
11: I never pushed a nun. I, I love nuns. Wait, okay. <laughs> I would never push a nun. All right. That thank great. you, no, no, we I was that right. No, thank
3: okay. you. That'll be one more thing today. Never push to Okay, <laughs> Brother, thank you. All
0: right.
2: <laughs> okay, Brian, you too.
3: When we come back, let's light up the, the phone back. one 408 7669
2: Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
3: Welcome back, everybody. 1-866-408-7669. Dave is listed on WHIO in Dayton, Ohio. Hey, Dave.
9: Hey, Brian. How you doing, bud?
3: Oh, you pulling for your bangles?
9: Oh, well, I'm I'm a Steelers fan. Sorry, bud.
3: It's okay. What's on your mind?
9: <laughs> hey, I wanted to talk about masks. You know, the... the of course, they finally settled the science on cloth masks that I've been screaming bloody murder about for the past two years that they gave everybody a false sense of security when they were going out in public. And, you know, and anytime I show my wife a video now and she'll ask me if it's about masks because she has no interest in hearing me talk about it anymore.
3: So you can talk um, to me. Uh, real quick, you know who said that? Uh, Anthony Fauci. The thing about masks, yeah. it gives you a false sense of security.
9: Exactly. And and now they're touting the N95 mask. Well, you know, that's that's a huge mistake in that there are OSHA requirements surrounding these N95 masks. If you do it in the industry, and I've been doing environmental health and safety in industry for 30 years, there's a huge long medical questionnaire you have to fill out. You have to perform a, a pulmonary function test, uh, a fit test. If people have beards or scars or any gaps in work. that mask, They don't work. If those same people have a heart issue or a lung issue like COPD, it puts them at greater risk than not wearing the mask, period. Right.
3: Uh, And now I find out my daughter has to wear an N95 mask in school and even in school gym. Do you believe that? It's nuts. Uh, And that's, remember in the beginning they said N95 masks, the thing about them, they got to be fitted to your face so they're ineffective. Oh, we just forgot about that because that would be hard. To fit it to everybody's face. Just stick it on there. Leave me alone. Stop talking. I gotta go to a football game.
2: Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
6: I think it was back in July, you said inflation was gonna be temporary. I think a lot of Americans are wondering what your definition of temporary is.
5: Well, you're being a wise guy with me a little bit. Uh, I understand that's your job. But look, uh, at the time, what happened was the uh, let's look at the reason for the inflation. The reason for the inflation is the supply chains were cut off, meaning that the products, for example, automobiles, The lack of computer chips to be able to build those automobiles so they could function. They need those computer chips. They were not available. So what happens? The number of cars were reduced. The new cars reduced. It made up at one point one-third the cost of inflation because the price of automobiles were up.
3: Okay, that explains it. Uh, Jackie Heinrich joins us now, Fox News White House correspondent. Jackie, welcome.
1: Hey, Brian. Good to be here. Thanks for having
3: me. Doing a killer job in the press room every day and not easy. But now they this the storylines aren't great. Last week, the jobs, the 400,000 jobs, a great storyline for the administration. The 7.5 percent unemployment not. Do you think he adequately explained it as well as maybe Jen Psaki would?
1: Well, you know what I didn't hear in that answer is uh, we were wrong. Because they've been saying that this is transitory uh, for months now, and it has—it's it, only gotten worse. In December, when I believe it was somewhere around six percent, he said that that was probably the peak. The president did. I mean, now we're—you know—a month later, looking at seven and a half percent. And sure, we hear this, the same reasons for this whenever the White House is asked questions about—you know—what are you doing about it? They say, look, we're trying to shore up the supply chains. Um, we're we're investing in our ports and and. Um, trying to make things, you know, manufacturing come back to the U.S. so we're not stuck in this position in the future. But these are long-term solutions. These are not short-term solutions. And especially when it comes to energy prices, we're also not seeing any sort of response. I mean, he released barrels from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, but that didn't even make a dent in gas prices. And he's been calling on the OPEC countries to uh, ramp up production, and that hasn't happened either.
3: Be, uh, you know, it's a, it's a shame because it goes against the green agenda and he'll get the left side, in my opinion, get the left side of his, his party angrier at him. But in terms of, you know, what about I was wrong? He says you're being a bit of a wise guy. I don't know what, you, what he's talking about. We know what he said to Peter under his breath when he said uh, yeah. uh, in, uh, inflation is stupid SOB. Now listen to this. Just so you know, he was wrong. This is him back in July. Cut two.
5: Some folks have raised worries that this could be a sign of persistent inflation. Our experts believe, and the data shows, that most of the price increases we've seen are, were expected and are expected to be temporary.
3: That's not true.
5: Just say, well, you know, this is what happened. I don't know you have to explain to
3: me the car thing, so I'm pretty surprised by that. Do you think the administration is worried about the 39 uh, percent approval rating?
1: I think they are now. I think that they're beginning to recognize that this is something that is impacting their voters. This is something that's going to impact Democrats in the midterms. And that they sound wildly out of touch when they tell you know, the poorest communities and people who are living on fixed incomes, I know you can't afford your stuff, but don't worry, it's going to get better soon. Um, they've started to incorporate some you know, empathetic messaging into his appearances. And whenever they address this question at the White House, they're sort of shifting their language. Before, they were very defiant. Um, about, you know, blaming it on the pandemic, saying that this is not an administration problem, this is a, a worldwide problem, this comes down to factories in other countries shutting down because of outbreaks, and, you know, this, we're just one piece in a big chain of events. We're not hearing that quite as much anymore. Uh, we're hearing a little bit more empathy toward the situation, but what we're not hearing is any new solutions.
3: Yeah, I mean, not, no solutions at all, and, of course, you have the constant situation with the Ukraine. But when the president sits down, Uh, to talk, he is doing it for for the first time that I can remember. He doesn't have the Democratic governors on his side. It seems like, Jackie, they this week in front of you have gotten the Democratic governors from now Nevada, now Maryland, started in New Jersey, Connecticut. They're all deciding to start loosening up restrictions, not waiting for the White House. What's going on behind the scenes? Are they just not running those conference calls with governors anymore? Were they surprised that this happened?
1: You know, I'm actually kind of surprised to watch how the White House is dancing around this issue because the CDC came out and said, look, uh, the data does not support relaxing mask mandates at this time. Uh, We look at wastewater, we look at hospitalization rates, look at a whole set of different variables, and that is our consensus. You know, the White House is echoing that messaging, but they are being very careful not to criticize these governors. And that is the opposite of what you heard. Granted, when the president was a candidate, it was more of that. Um, they've, they have allowed the states to, you know, or they have said when they're talking about this, we follow science and data. This is what our CDC says. We want, you know, states to have states and local leaders to make their own decisions. Um, but they're very, very careful not to, like, lay any of the criticism yep. that we heard. Uh, directed at these Republican governors who were, you know, basically paying attention to where where people were long ago and saying people don't want these restrictions. People can have, uh, you you can wear a mask if you want to, but it's not the job of government to say that you have to. And so I, I think that now they're beginning to recognize that people want a degree more of choice. They don't like these mandates and it's showing up in the polling. So they're Softly trying to sort of back out of this corner they've put themselves in. And I'm
3: talking to Jackie Heinrich from uh, from Washington. Jackie, I just want just to back up what you just said. Here's Joe Biden dancing around the fact that these blue states are not in concert with
5: the White House. Cut eight.
6: Are you afraid, though, that some states and, and cities are moving too quickly to loosen indoor mask mandates?
5: Well, you know, it's uh, I've. I committed that I would follow the science, the science as put forward by the CDC and the and the and the federal people, and uh, I think it's probably premature, but it's you know it's it's a tough call.
3: So he's dancing around it. Maura joining it, and it's, I guess there's a theory running around this place that he wanted to make a big, kind Titanic announcement: goodbye masks for schools and everything. Uh, in uh, at the State of the Union address. Have you heard that? Do you believe there's something to that and that these blue you states know, just don't want to wait?
1: I have not heard that, and I would I have to say I find it probably to be a little bit unlikely because he got himself in trouble. You remember back in the summertime, I think it was the 4th of July, he said we're declaring independence from the virus, and then you had Delta, and then you had Omicron, and it just looked like it was premature for him to make a statement like that. So I haven't heard any word of that, but also they're they're being very tight-lipped about the State of the Union in general, uh, given probably where things are at in the State of the Union.
3: It's also the latest, I, I think, in, in decades that we've ever had his first state, the uh, president's first State of the Union. So I thought they were waiting for mm-hmm. something, maybe for Omicron to dip, and it has. So I want to bring it to something else. What do you, and this might be conjecture, what is the administration doing with Justin Trudeau? The reports are they're pressuring him to break up these caravans. The Homeland Security says they are getting reports of these caravans, these freedom caravans that might go by the Super Bowl uh, at the moment to prove this is a global movement. Paris is now blocking the caravans from entering uh, the capital of that country, of France. What is, our, what is the U.S. role in the Canadian politics?
1: Well, they they want to make sure that they don't run into problems with the supply chain. You know, the, the location on the Ambassador Bridge is sort of getting their attention because it is a major corridor um, of the, the two economies, Canada and the United States. And we saw a couple of um, businesses, I believe it was Toyota and I think it was also Pfizer, correct me if I'm wrong, um, temporarily shut down production because of uh, obstacles with these convoys. So now you have the uh, Department of Homeland Security saying that they are keeping an eye out to make sure that there are no impediments to both the State of the Union and the Super Bowl. Those are the two sort of events that they're watching. Uh, But I don't know, you know, what more they can do. I think they certainly run the risk of, you know, if they come out strongly against this, uh, just exacerbating it and and drawing more, more attention. I mean, they also had their mask or their uh, vaccine requirements struck down by the courts here. So it's a little bit of a different dynamic, but, um, you know, we'll see what comes to pass on that.
3: I think this is such a big story that we thought was just going to be about truckers being vaccinated. And now it is a bunch of frustrated Canadians. And now they're stopping the transfer of goods on two separate bridges, one into North Dakota and one into Michigan. And now they're threatening to have this movement that could actually end up around Washington D.C. And they have one thing in common, it seems, Jackie. These people, every the American people, are tired of the restrictions and have lost faith in the conclusions of the so-called scientists.
1: Yeah, there were some pretty serious questions posed to the White House this week about whether the CDC risks becoming irrelevant, um, given you know where they stand, where where basically you have states moving on from the pandemic, Democrats moving on from the pandemic and saying, look, you know, we know enough about this virus now. Uh, We have vaccines. We have boosters. We, you know, you can use masks if you want to, but people should have a degree of choice on how they want to live their lives. And we've been living with these restrictions for a couple of years now. And they run the risk um, of of basically being put on the back burner while politicians are, are making their decisions based on politics. um, And they've always, there's always been this sort of intersection of politics and science, right? Like the Democrats always say, we follow the science and that informs our politics. But It's becoming more and more true that uh, the science depends on the politics of who you're talking to, because a lot of these people will find some scientific data to support whatever political position that they're in. Uh, So it's You know, it's just wearing on people and certainly is affecting the polling of the president.
3: And the other thing that I just want to bring you to, and that is the president basically said that the the Pentagon report about what happened in Afghanistan that was put out by the army, the president basically said it's not true. And I just don't know how you bounce back from that with credibility with your military, which is already pretty beaten up. I want you to hear this and tell me if you think this is going to become a bigger story. Cut 27.
6: It interviewed many military officials and officers who said the administration ignored the handwriting on the wall. Uh, Another described trying to get folks in the embassy ready to evacuate, encountering uh, people who were essentially in denial of of the situation. Does any of that ring true to you?
5: No. No. That's not what I was told. Look, there was no good time to get out. But if we had not gotten out, they acknowledged that we would have had to put a hell of a lot more troops back in. And there was no way we were ever going to unite Ukraine. I mean, excuse me, Iraq, Afghanistan. No way that was going to happen. And so this is a much wiser thing to do. I just want to clarify,
6: are you rejecting the conclusions or the the accounts that are in this Army report? I'm rejecting them.
3: I mean, that is that's game on, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's surprising, too, because recall back when he interviewed with George Stephanopoulos and he said none of my generals told me that I should leave a small, uh, you know, battalion or, or group of 2,500 or so troops. Uh, no one said that we should do that. No one argued to keep Bagram open, et cetera, et cetera. And then you come out and find that Secretary of Defense uh, Lloyd Austin and Milley had both uh, encouraged that very thing to happen and voiced their concerns and put them, you know, posed them to the administration. So I think that, you know, for him to say unequivocally uh, we reject this, I mean, it it better be true because it wasn't – there's reporting to suggest that another time he made an absolute statement, uh, there there was a lot of uh, proof to the contrary. And I think that what you're seeing right now is this is a damning uh, reflection of basically the State Department and NSC slow-rolling action on Afghanistan because of how much bureaucracy is involved when you have – you know, the, the Pentagon and the Joint Chiefs raising the alarm saying, listen, we cannot sit around this table and talk about it anymore. You've got to have – the Taliban is advancing. we got to take some action. And you saw the outcome of that. And it's happening now again with Ukraine. I mean, the fact that General Milley was on Capitol Hill warning lawmakers that Ukraine – in Ukraine, Kiev could fall in three days um, and that you could have a huge number of casualties on either side – Uh, mostly on the Ukrainian side, with a huge number of civilians involved. I mean, that is pretty stark uh, language to to come out of the mouth of the man who also, you know, was in charge of Afghanistan. You have to wonder, is he, you know, thinking about his his legacy? Does he want to have his his name out there? Uh, Warning about this, because I think that a lot of people looked at Milley after Afghanistan and said, well, what the heck? And I think now, you know, the fact that he's Talking to uh, lawmakers on the hill and being very very blunt about what's happening and encouraging you know some sort of action basically um, it, I think that there's some frustration between the military right. and um, and and the White House
3: absolutely and he they basically said it he said it is not true and these guys in the military already have their reputations tarnished because they believe that civilian decisions hindered their military decisions, and now they write a report up and they're told it's not authentic, it's not accurate. At what point do you say, it is accurate? Ladies and gentlemen, here are my stars. I want to leave with a little bit of credibility I have left. So I just don't know if we—if this ends here. My sense is it doesn't. Jackie, continue to do a great job. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me, Brian. Good to talk to you. All right, go get them. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. I'm just enraged by that last soundbite. Maybe I'm alone in that. I'm not letting go of that story. Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
6: The national Democratic brand in, 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 I think, in rural America generally is toxic. And it's because, quite frankly, we don't show up. We're not willing to go places we're not wanted and answer questions. I honestly don't think the Democratic Party can be a majority party unless we start appealing to middle
5: America a lot
6: more.
3: John Tester talking from Montana. How he keeps winning, I don't know. Now he's talking like a moderate like Joe Manchin, but he never takes a tough vote. He never goes against his party. So I am not buying it. That's called political survival. Gary, listen to WNDB in Daytona. Hey, Gary.
13: Hey, good morning, Brian. No, on your when you interviewed Geraldo and talked to Geraldo, uh, I, I, I like Geraldo. I hate the chuckle after you play a clip, and it's happened many times and with with different people and you know of Joe Biden making gaffes and getting confused and it's it like what you pointed out it's it's really not funny it's sad for us as americans
3: because yeah it, yeah um, i don't care about his reelection. i care about our country
13: the the other thing is i really disagree with oraldo I, I i can be concerned about and upset with the afghanistan and inflation and the border and a plethora of other things. It's it's not gone, and I think I, I'm hoping he misspoke when he said, because pretty much quoting him, it, that Afghanistan's over. Uh, the American people are more concerned about inflation and other items, and and I think a lot of people are still concerned about Afghanistan.
3: I do too, uh, Gary. I hope you're right, and I because I, I 100% agree with you. I never forgot it, and that's why I played that clip. I am in more incensed by that clip than anyone I can remember in quite some time. He basically called the Army liars. So who are we supposed to believe? A guy that doesn't remember anyone telling him that Afghanistan's evacuation could go bad. Then he says it's going to be messy. And then he says it went great when he considers how many people we got out in that short of time. Then he tells us I couldn't have got enough troops in there to protect our people getting out. But he put 6,000 in in 10 days. 6,000. You can't have it both ways. You know what we could have done with 6,000 troops? We would have held Bob Garm Air Base. Those terrorists would still be in that prison. And we would have a view there of China, Russia, and Pakistan. Now we have nothing. We are blind. Brian Kilmeacher. Live.
2: From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, What a week we've had, a lot to cover, covering all over the release of the pandemic restrictions and some reluctance to do so, and a massive global movement uh, for freedom. We'll discuss that. Also, according to reports in 48 hours, we're going to have a Super Bowl. And I think it's going to be a good one. And I think it's going to be a, almost a return to normalcy after last year's bizarre one when Tom Brady won easily. But it was the stands were half full. There was no hoopla leading up to it. People tell me that this feels much more like a Super Bowl week. Jay Glazer, NFL insider, will be joining us from Fox Sports at 34 after. Bill Hammer, lifetime Bengal fan. He knows they haven't been here in 30 years. He's going to leave the set And come join me of America's Newsroom. And with me right now is Admiral James Stravitas. Uh, uh, He's going to be joining us in a matter of moments. Uh, But I do want to give an understanding about some of the major global events that are taking place before he joins us. And if I can, let me bring you to what's happening. There are major uh, war games, operations, uh, I guess, Uh, taking place over in Belarus with Russian troops. Senator Tom Cotton noticed that on America Reports and mentioned this is what he thinks is going to happen. As you know, it was in the military. It was in the infantry. Cut 26.
0: I think those military drills in Belarus, Sandra, are nothing but a cover for a likely invasion. I think they tell us, that since they're starting so soon, that we could be down to a matter of days, not weeks, uh, for that potential invasion. I'm not sure that any action Congress could take would deter Vladimir Putin at this point. It's fairly late in the day. this uh, stage uh, was reached after a year of relatively weak and appeasing policies by the uh, Biden administration towards Russia and, of course, the debacle in Afghanistan. I would favor very stringent sanctions now, as I have for months, on Russia, and Belarus, for that matter.
3: And what about the Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, the former one, I should say, Admiral James Chavitas? Admiral, do you agree with Sen- – and welcome uh, – do you agree with Senator Cotton that uh, an invasion could be imminent, judging by the, the scope of these um, – I guess, these war games they're playing?
4: I do. And let's face it, you don't have to be uh, a veteran like Tom Cotton or Jim Stavridis to feel that way. I think any common-sense observer, simply looking at the satellite photographs, the buildup that's occurred, um, anyone's common-sense meter would say, look, this has gone beyond what would be required in the case of exercises. And in particular, I think Senator Cotton's right to focus on what's up north – uh, Belarus. And the reason for that, Brian, is that that's where the capital, Kiev, is located, just over that border, really less than 100 miles from this buildup. So if Putin decides to go, and I think it's probably a two and three chance, two-thirds chance that he will go, um, I think he could drive to Kiev very, very quickly and and things fall apart swiftly in combat when the high command is taken out.
3: And do we know in the big picture why? Because he doesn't like them. I mean, because he wants them part of it because he feels as though NATO membership was imminent. I mean, think about this. There's you know, it's easy to get caught up in the day by day. But in the big picture, there is no reason for this.
4: Um If you were sitting with Vladimir Putin, he would tell you three reasons he wants to invade Ukraine, if he were being honest. Number one is makes him look big and powerful and important on the global stage. He is playing uh, to an international audience, including President Xi of China. Number two, it makes him look uh, capable, strong and decisive inside Russia. He's got a base just like every national level politician here in the United States. He is playing to his base. And number three, your point, Brian, um, he honestly believes that an expansion of NATO uh, threatens the borders of Russia. He would give you those three reasons. I don't agree with any of them in terms of creating a valid reason to invade a sovereign state, but that's where Putin would come from.
3: So do you believe that there's some fracture within the Russian government on the, whether this is a wise move or not? Have you heard about, heard that?
4: Boy, I wish I had. But um, if we know anything about Russia, it's that it is a unitary decision-making process which resides between Vladimir Putin's ears. And let's face it, Brian, this has been the history of Russia for a thousand years. And sometimes— It works out pretty well for Russia. You get Peter the Great, and because he's a unitary decision maker, he can open the country to the Renaissance and to the West. On the other hand, the next time you get Ivan the Terrible. One time you get Joseph Stalin, a disaster, but then you get a Mikhail Gorbachev. So it goes back and forth for Russia with this lack of a democratic system, but the bottom line is, there is only one decision maker. It's Vladimir Putin. And by the way, I'm not sure if Vladimir Putin himself has decided whether he's ultimately going to throw that switch. I think it's better than even that he will. He will be the decider in chief.
3: Right. Um, and you tell me in the past it's not really that costly to well up troops on a border so close to yours, on, on the border that you share, where we were very aware of the costs of building up in Kuwait, getting ready for the Iraq evasion. Uh, and things to that nature, correct? It's different if you're in the region.
4: It is absolutely uh, uh, cost-benefit analysis is pretty good for Putin. And by the way, in fairness... Um, Whether or not we think these exercises are a cover for an actual invasion, they do derive military benefit when they conduct these exercises. Their training gets better. Their fitness gets better. Their command and control networks are exercised. Their connections to space are emphasized. So they derive real military benefit from this, whether they do the invasion or not. And yes, the cost of doing this when it's simply motorizing your forces um, within a given region, as opposed to air bridges and ships and all the expense that goes into that, um, he can do this, and it's not very cost uh, prohibitive for Vladimir Putin.
3: And he could also uh, stand down, but he needs a face to measure, <laughs> and uh, NATO has not given it to him, and the EU and the U.S. hasn't. The president was asked about that, cut 25
6: What are your plans toward American citizens who are in Ukraine and might be there during an invasion? What scenarios would you put American troops to rescue and get Americans out? They're
5: not. That's a world war. When Americans and Russians start shooting at one another, we're in a very different world than we've ever been in.
6: Not even on behalf of simply evacuating Americans?
5: No. How how, how do you do that? How do you even find them? This is not like I'm hoping... That if in fact he's foolish enough to go in, he's smart enough not to in fact do anything that would negatively impact on American citizens. But have you yeah. have you told him that? Yes.
6: You, you've you've told him to, that that you know, Americans would be a line that they can't
5: cross. Well, I, I didn't have to tell him that. He, I've, I've spoken about that. He knows that, and uh, you know it's a little bit. Uh, look. That's why what I've asked is American citizens should leave, should leave now. So that interaction, you get the
3: sense that he thinks it's going to happen.
4: He is being told by the U.S. intelligence community that it's an 80 to 90 percent chance. And I get that from my sources in the intel community. I'm sure they're giving the president the same assessment. That is how the Pentagon sees it. I think there's still personally, Brian, I think there's still a bit of a higher opportunity for diplomacy, but um, I think anybody would say at this point, better than even chance, probably two and three chance he's going to go. Let's go back to those American citizens. Yes, they should be leaving. But American citizens who do not leave are a red line. I think any president would believe that to be the case. And I hope we are communicating that with very direct means to the Kremlin. And by the way, If push comes to shove and there are Americans at risk, I don't doubt the Pentagon uh, would be capable of going into Ukraine and extracting American citizens. But if we do all
3: this diplomacy over the last three and four months and we see they still go in and they end up stronger, they absorb a lot of the Ukraine, they become more formidable and they also become bolder. It's just to me such a disaster. For our efforts, if everybody gathered and, they, and told him and warned him and he still did it, what does that say to China? I do want to get to one last thing before you go, and that is Joe Biden responding to the Pentagon report. Uh, the, he's responding to their Pentagon report that he basically was warned a bunch of times about getting people out and various people in the government ignored it. Uh, I want you to hear what he had to say to that. And uh, my head's ready to explode in listening to it. 27.
6: It interviewed many military officials and officers who said the administration ignored the handwriting on the wall. Uh, another described trying to get folks in the embassy ready to evacuate, encountering uh, you know, people who were in, essentially in denial of, of this situation. Does any of that ring true to you?
5: No. No. That's not what I was told. Look, there was no good time to get out. But if we had not gotten out, they acknowledged that we would have had to put a hell of a lot more troops back in. And there was no way we were ever going to unite Ukraine. I mean, excuse me, Iraq, Afghanistan. No way that was going to happen. And so this is a much wiser thing to do.
6: I just want to clarify, are you rejecting the conclusions or the, the accounts that are in this Army report? I'm rejecting them.
3: What do you do if you drew up that you you're in the military and you wrote up that after action report and you find out the president just rejected them? Don't you have to say something to defend yourself?
4: I think you will see uh, a variety of people who participated in that report, both uh, off the record and those who detached from the service in due course talking about it. I will say this, the report rang true to me, and I think that— Um, You know, presidents are paid to make hard decisions, and uh, President Biden made a hard decision, and let's be honest, it did not come out well. And uh, to simply then turn around and reject um, a report that's put together by the Pentagon, I think, undermines the credibility of the investigators and the credibility of the Pentagon. That's not good for anybody.
3: Admiral James Chavitas, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Talk right, soon. Back Bye-bye. in a moment. When we come back, Bill Hammer, on a lighter note, why he believes the Cincinnati Bengals will win.
2: Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
3: And I'm with Bill Hemmer. So you're with Brian Kilmeade, and I'm with Bill Hemmer. Together, we are, uh, I'm talking to the news anchor who has become a partisan. You, I do, you're not fair and balanced when it comes yeah. to Super Bowl 56. I've heard,
0: I've heard that. You're not wrong about that. Let right. me just say, I think the Rams have had an awesome year. Yes. They're an incredible team. It's going to take a very strong effort in order to win this game, if you're a Cincinnati fan, of which I am.
3: Well, I just think that. I mean, don't you think the teams are pretty much equal? How so? Uh, I just think the advantage for the Rams, uh, they both easily could have lost their championship game. They both could have easily, uh, they, they easily yeah. could have lost the game before that, okay. uh, the conference game. But I would say this, the main advantage I have for the Rams is they're playing at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the main thing. They wow. know the field. They really feel comfortable. And, they, and they're not going to get hard in the hoopla because it, it, they have a coaching staff that is 2018 did the same thing.
0: Um, True, and they lost that game in Atlanta to New England. They were terrible. Sean McVay. Yeah. uh, Played wide receiver at Miami of Ohio,
3: my college. Wow. Cradle of coaches. Grew up in Atlanta. Uh, I think he was athlete of the year. He was having fun with that. Evidently, he was athlete of the year in Ohio. He was like the Ohio sportsman of the year. Who? Sean McVay. No, I think that was Joe Burrow. No. Listen to this. You know who he beat? Uh, He beat Megatron. And that's why I they, they was watching this whole feature. Megatron was actually in Ohio, and he beat him for athlete of the year. It's oh, like, I don't know how I won that. that that's good. That's you good. like that?
0: That's good intel. I'm going to Google it, make sure it's right. right. The Rams planted at home. Here's why I don't like the idea.
3: Allison, could you, could you uh, tell him how insulted I am? No, no, no. no I didn't say sure you right. were
0: wrong. I just I haven't heard about it. I should right. have, okay? I just, uh, what I want to say is that I'm not prepared for the interview right now. I mean, oh, okay. you're you, I mean, you <laughs> knocked me off my, my, my block right, Go, over go ahead, though. So the Rams have been home, Brian, for three weeks. Yeah. In L.A. Yeah. I don't know about you, but for a game like this, I want to be away from my family. I want to be away from my friends. I want to be away from oh. distractions. I want to be on the road. And that's where Cincinnati's been, at Nashville. Beat the number one seed in the AFC. Hard to do. Went to Kansas City. Beat the KC Chiefs in overtime for the second time in 28 days. People don't remember they played four weeks prior. That's pretty impressive. So your point about an even matchup, here's how I would analyze it. I think it is rare when before a big game like this, you know exactly what the strength is of one team and how it's diametrically opposite the weakness on the other team. In this case, the L.A. Rams' defensive line is fierce. Right. And our weakest point the entire season has been our offensive line. How do those two play out? That's where the game's decide.
3: And it depends how ferocious the rush is, but if it's just pressures, when you sack him, Joe Burrows, eight times. The Titans sacked him nine. eight, nine times. Nine. And he was like, okay, I'll still win. Nine. And that's the number one seed in <laughs> yeah. the conference. They led the league in
0: sacks, Brian. Right. And they also led the league in fewest... Penalties. So that's some amazing data there. You lead the league in sacks for your quarterback, and you lead the league in the least penalized team. These are the bungles for 30 years. Yes, It's extraordinary what good coaches can do and the power of one person. And here's why I'll tell you that. I know that the players on Cincinnati's team knows that Joe Burrow will not respect them if they don't play their ass off, he doesn't talk to them. It's an understood
3: Not bad for a second-year player.
0: Second-year player who had a massive injury only 15 months ago.
3: Right. How How confident is this guy? I mean, is that amazing? I like what
0: he said the other day. He said, if you're going to work out and post it on Instagram – And then don't – that where are you for the next four days? He's like – he's calling (laughs) out people who were trying to brag on social media and he said, well,
3: what's happening in between this time? I thought that was a cool comment. So do you believe right now if Cincinnati is to look at three quarterbacks, Boomer Esiason, Kenny Anderson, and Joe Burrow, do you believe that he will emerge as the best? Don't know yet. Don't know. Kenny, From what you've seen so Kenny far.
0: Kenny Anderson was so good, 8 to 10 yards out. I'm going to hit you every time. Boomer Esiason was a natural-born leader. Right. Joe Burrow is a natural-born leader. Let's see what happens on Sunday, and maybe you can ask me that question at a future time.
3: Projection. If they had found a way to beat the 49ers in Joe Montana instead of losing by three, do they have a Lew- different trajectory Lew- for
0: their team? Lewis Billups dropped a pass in the end zone. It went right through his arms before Montana hit Taylor to win it all in 1989.
3: And that was the year of the miraculous catch, wasn't it? Was that the year of the catch where they beat, uh, where ever since Walls got beat in the end zone? Uh, by Dwight Clark oh, that yes, put him there. The, yes. No, so, that
0: was 1981. That was different. Yeah, and to January of 82 when they played in Pontiac, Michigan, and the Bengals lost a great game, 26-21. It is still to this day the highest-rated Super Bowl ever watched in American history.
3: And not two of them. There weren't two banner teams back then, right? The Niners uh, were, I mean, they were we good. Used, we weren't used to the Niners winning back o- then. Okay, fair point. I, I don't. I, I still
0: don't understand why so many Americans watched that game. Right. Was it cold? It was
3: cold in Michigan. If you are an American and you watched that game and haven't watched one since, call one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Bill, go to the Super Bowl. You, enjoy brother. the game. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what we get. But you, prediction? We
0: need one more. No predictions. Hope it's bet. Hope optimism. Let's go get it. One more.
2: The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
5: It's a tremendous organization. They've supported us through through thin and now thick, you know, and so it's been a fun process to go through. I'm glad that we went through that, you know, really, because now we appreciate everything that's happening for us right now because we, we've we seen the worst of things, and now obviously we're seeing the best of things, and um, I can't think of any better way to to go along this journey than the way that we've done it so far. <laughs>
3: Uh, That is Zach Taylor, head coach of the Bengals, because he was able to. One thing about the Bengals, they don't just fire coaches. They hold on to them. And uh, Zach Taylor did not have the great success, even when Burroughs was a rookie, hurt his knee, was out, did not have a strong year. And this year, everything came together. You know they're in the Super Bowl, and they are the underdogs by just a few points to the home Los Angeles Rams. I used to always have to check myself when I said L.A. Rams. I did all sports radio at XTRA, and every time I brought the Rams, I, I kept forgetting to say St. Louis. Now I check myself but still before I say Los Angeles. That is not a problem for Jay Glazer. He immediately makes the adjustments, and he rolls with change. He's an NFL insider extraordinaire. He's on Fox NFL Sunday. Uh, he um, joins us now from Los Angeles. He's got a new book out called Unbreakable, How I Turn My Depression and Anxiety Into Motivation, and you can too. Jay, welcome.
12: How you doing, bro? you know you know you got it wrong. The Rams are actually not the home team. Technically? Do <laughs> you know that? No, I didn't uh, know that. They're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Bengals are the home the AFC team this year is the home team, even though they're playing in the Rams stadium.
3: Now, are they have they are the Rams moving out of their their houses yet into a hotel? Have they been treating yeah, this like it's a typical Super Bowl, even though they're home?
12: Yeah, no, but well they're 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 Remember, they're they're treated like it, it they normally would, would a normal home game even though they're technically the road team. So basically, the Bengals get to choose whatever you know they want to wear for their colors. Um, yeah, they have the you know it's just a couple of things, but it's, it is kind of a little ironic there.
3: Because we said Bill Hammer on a big uh, Cincinnati Bengal fan, and he said it's an advantage for the Bengals to be in a hotel together as opposed to the Rams scattered out throughout their homes. Have they have they looked to form
12: that NFC hotel feeling? No, they have that already Yeah, they they, they got a they got a team hotel. Okay, they, so they, they always do. They're he, all together he, at home. They stay at they always stay at a hotel, actually down in Manhattan Beach. So they're, they're already in that. And listen, I know everybody tries to say, "Oh, you got to make a regular game." No, the smart thing is to realize it's not a regular game, right? And and realize it's different, and then adjust with it. So like pregame warm-ups and I've. I've Man, I've talked to guys about this for years. Pre-game warm-ups. The like guys listen. Athletes are creatures of habit. They like structure. They like to know where they're where they're going. So normally, guys will have the same routine over and over and over. Well, this time, when you have your routine, you go out there three-game warm-ups, and then okay, you know you can go back in the locker room. You got about 12 minutes. You come back out. That's not the case. Because then you got all the pageantry, right? You have yeah. God Bless America, and you have uh, or America Beautiful, and and you have. Uh, the, the national anthem and you have these awards that are given out it's not the same so a lot of times but like, listen the rams were in a couple of years ago so sean mcvay could tell them hey listen i need you guys to go out there don't come out and shoot your wad early you know in pregame warm-ups like relax relax and i'll tell you when you need to really get yourself beat up where the bengals don't have that that same experience
3: couple of things. Uh, I think you have two quarterbacks, very respectful, very nice guys. You know them, especially Stafford. Yep. What could you tell our audience about what kind of people they are?
12: Oh, First of all, Joe Burrow is a culture changer. So the Bengals, whether they win it this year or not, they will be a contender for a long, long time. When you have a quarterback in this league, you suddenly look like a really smart head coach. <laughs> you look like all your scouts can scout. You look like all your coaches can coach. Everything's so much better when you have a quarterback in this league, and he is a culture changer. And you also see, like, man, you know, the Bengals used to have this mindset of if something went wrong, oh, no, sky is falling, here we go again. With Joe Burrow in there, if something goes wrong, now they have this feeling of we're good. We got cool Joe there. We're all right. No problem. That's a huge difference. And as far as Stafford, you know, Look, Stafford is so incredibly talented, he does so much stuff in practice that makes you, oh, my God, where the Rams, um, you know, the smartest thing for the Rams to do is not basically expand their offense out for Stafford, use the same offense you had with Jared Goff, but just with a much better quarterback now in Matthew Stafford, and that's their winning system.
3: Uh, I want you to – Matthew Stafford weighed in on former Giant and Cleveland Brown, Odell Beckham. They say he's a culture herder, some would say. Here's what he said about the Odell that he sees. Cut 43.
9: Mm-hmm. I thought Odell did a great job of stepping in, and, you know, but he's embraced his role. He's grown in that role. What we asked him to do, to come in and learn as much as
3: he's learned in a half a season, basically, and come out here and execute and still play at a high level. Um, a lot of times, whether it's receiver or any other position, when you step in and you're still thinking and learning,
9: sometimes the physicality, the physical parts of the game, you know, drop off a little bit because you're thinking. Um, he's done an unbelievable job of being able to lock in on his on his plan, um, you know, his role in our offense, and then go play fast. So nothing but uh, nothing but love for OB. He's done an unbelievable job and, and really helped us out.
12: Why is it working? Yeah. See, I want you to hear that right there. Sometimes they lose the physicality when they're thinking football is a thinking man's game right and if you are able to just go if you know exactly where you're going you go 100 miles per hour what you need if you have the slightest hesitation in knowing exactly what you're supposed to do right that slows you up you know fraction of a second and that can make all the difference in the world so you know for odell too you know he came in with, when robert woods went down and everybody just thought oh great perfect timing but he didn't say, play the same position as Robert Woods, So he had to learn something completely different, but that receiver room for the Rams is so much different. The work ethic of guys like Cooper cup and, and Robert Woods, like, man, either he was going to buy in or he wasn't, but he bought in. And as a result of that, he's actually gotten better. He'd become a better receiver. Since he bought in that man. They got this old offensive line, like <laughs> like an Andrew Whitworth type work ethic for a bunch of receivers, which you just don't see
3: a lot. Jay Glazer with me. Uh, his book is so important, as important as this, as we think the Super Bowl is. After the Super Bowl ends, uh, this book, that you, if you pick this up, especially if you're dealing with depression in your life at any level, or people that you know are, this will pay off yeah. for a lifetime. It's called Unbreakable. And, Jay, by telling your story, you're telling the story of depression, which is not a matter of Uh, of really in your control. You were born this way. When did you
12: realize that? Yeah, I didn't sign up for this. (laughs) I I, I learned it when I was crying. Every single night brought up to my room. Um, And, man, just feeling alone and feeling like my world was crashing down around me and the sky was falling and it's never left me. But it's something I couldn't let cripple me. Right? I had to use, I had to figure ways out of it. So every morning to this day, including right now, right before I came on with you, I didn't know which version of Jake Glazer I was going to wake up with. Is it the version that, man, everybody hates me and I'm not worthy of being loved and the sky is falling? Or is it the version of, okay, maybe today's going to be okay and I get a lucky day. And, you know, look, I have clinical depression and anxiety. And my version of it, um, when it hits, man, it's physical and visceral. It's, I feel it in my joints, on the left side of my gut, in my heart. Uh, and I know it makes no sense logically. Like, look how great my life is. I'm like sitting here talking to you about the Super Bowl. I get it. My life is a is a dream come true. But between my ears sucks. And, you know, what I want to do because I'm not able to feel any, um, like the voices in my head told me I'm not worthy of being loved. So instead of me caving in, I've used it to myself. I've used my depression and anxiety To go do such great things so i can get love from the outside in to maybe maybe someday one day merge in the middle and and hope to get a little little love from the inside out and look this book is so important these days because we all talk about mental health but nobody describes it right who describes it and god blessed me with the ability to communicate so i want to give people the words and how to describe whether you have depression or anxiety or listen we just came through a pandemic Where we were told to socially distance, we're told to isolate. The Worst thing you can do is isolate. So we're all going through some sort of gray. Or you may just, you know, be going through like everybody else on social media. Go, well, man, I'm comparing myself to everybody else's filtered traction of a second on social media. So my life sucks when your life doesn't suck. But it's easy these days to think it does. So there's something here, and it's a prescriptive book of how I get people through the gray, through depression, through anxiety. Because man, that's our only choice. Suicide right now is such a horrible epidemic, and I want to be the voice for this gray. I want to be the voice for all of us to get us through the gray and rally one big team together so we can start kicking the gray's butt back.
3: So, a couple of things. Number one, do, do, did you? Inhale, uh, is that running your family? Yeah. Number one, and and number two. So, were you able to yeah, use you know your family so as right, a resource?
12: I, found that out. I only found the out, by the way um, uh, three weeks ago. I really? didn't know. My mother just told me, yeah, my mom, (laughs) sorry for outing her right now, but, um, yeah, my grandmother, and uh, she had it, and and my mom, my grandma was put on meds, this is, you know, back in, like, the 60s, they didn't really know it. And, you know, it's so funny, because, like, I I talk in the book, too, like, I have really bad anxiety and panic attacks, and it started in 2005, and back then, we didn't talk about mental health, or we didn't talk about anxiety attacks, so I thought I was having heart attacks. And I was trying to go to doctors getting treated. I didn't know what was going on. So I had to suffer in silence for all these years. And to this day, when I do a TV show, I'm usually having an anxiety or panic attack, even though I'm not afraid to be on TV. I just, man, I I call, I'm wrestling with my abuser. Like, for whatever oh. reason, this thing, when I have a panic attack, I feel like I'm having a heart attack. My eyes start going, darting back and forth. I start sweating. My breathing becomes labored. Um... Man, and the walls start caving in on me, and I, I, kind of forget what's going on, and I'm, um, I'm, I'm almost literally wrestling with my abuser, talking to my abuser, while I'm talking to you at home. And the, so if you watch me on Fox, I will very quickly try and laugh, I try and get some sort of joke out as quickly as I can, because the gray hates laughter. So I have all these little tools that I that I use, wow. you know, and in the book of. You know, I, I make sure um, I'm a service to people. This book and my MVP charity is a way to be a service. I make sure, um, you know, that I have teams, whether they're my NFL teams or fight teams like communities and God is a team for me and my kid is a team. But I rely on my teams also so I, I don't isolate. I don't suffer in silence anymore. And there's just different ways in the book how it can help you. Find teams, be of service, wow. um, and, and fight back against the right.
3: So, Jay, we you know for for those. So, you have this going on, but you're still you train all the time. You train other people. You have an expertise mm-hmm. in ultimate fighting, mixed martial arts. You have an expertise in football. You also have a knack for breaking stories, which means creating relationships. So, the question mm-hmm. is for people listening right now: Can you therapy this out? Do you need medication? Can you say anything uh-huh. universal right now for anyone listening? that no no matter who you are and what you've accomplished and what you haven't, that you can work through it?
12: First of all, I want people to look and go, man, this guy's life is so great. How could he be sad? How could he cry? How could this dude wake up crying in the morning? My life, like I said, it is great. It's phenomenal. I I don't decide the rules of this thing. Like, I didn't get a choice in this thing, right? We all have childhood trauma. We all have, you know, a lot of us. And um, what I will tell you is talk to people. Like, don't suffer in silence. I hid it from my friends. It used to just be like, oh, Jay's crazy. And I tried to make it almost a joke, but they didn't know how much pain I was in. Now that I've talked to my friends about it, and these are the biggest, baddest dudes in the world, it has gotten us so much closer together. Like, people, people, if you go talk to people to help yourself, you'll be shocked at how many other people you help, that they didn't know how to start the conversation. So the way we're going to win this thing is we have one big, huge team fighting back against this thing. So talk to people. Yes, talk to therapists. If there's medication that works for you, get on medication. I'm unfortunately one of the – I'm in that group that medication – I'm medication-resistant, just I haven't found anything that works. Um, And I've tried 36 of them, dude. Wow. 36. 36. And some of them got me in trouble. But I will – the one thing I won't do is ever stop trying to find the blue. I'll spend my life trying to find the blue, and I'll spend my life trying to get everybody else to see some blue in their lives.
3: Meanwhile, uh, being at the absolute top of your game in the profession you chose, uh, Jay, congratulations. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got to pick up this book for uh, for you to learn more about uh, Jay, some of its relationships, what he went through. Number two, if there's anyone in your family that has similar symptoms and similar anxiety, maybe they haven't diagnosed it yet, uh, it's called Unbreakable, How I Turn My Depression and Anxiety Into Motivation. And you can too, uh Jake we managed to thrive through it. I have even more respect for you, it's it's even more phenomenal through the through incredible
12: through. part of it is is giving this words now, and the people who reach like I had an eighty year old grandmother, reach out and say thank you for the first time in my life, eighty years in, I now have the words to have this conversation with my family, with my husband and my kids and my grandkids, and I have parents saying my 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 ten year old daughter is going through it. I got a book for me and her. So we can connect, so I can understand her more. And again, I want to be the voice for all of us with this grade to to lift you up. But at the same time, right. I'll be honest, like I'm a work in progress, I'm still help, helping to get lifted up out of it myself.
3: I hear you. Uh, Jay, thanks for your honesty. Thanks for your candor. Thanks for coming on. Uh, and, and Jay will be on with me Saturday night on One Nation, uh, too. So, Jay, thanks so much. Enjoy the game. I know it's work, thanks, but enjoy the game. Thanks. Love you, brother. You got it. Back at you. Unbreakable, the name of the book. When we come back, I wrap things up and find out there's indeed more to know.
2: This weekend, check out Brian's new show on Fox News Channel. Because apparently he's cheaper than infomercials for nonstick pans. That is not true. (laughs) Chill out, Gutfeld. That really hurts. One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. More of Brian coming up. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hey, welcome back, everyone. Just a reminder, don't forget to tune in to One Nation at 8 p.m. and 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Got a great show on tap. Uh, Tyrus will do the news duel. Adam Carolla will be joining me, put in perspective what's happening at the Super Bowl, as well as Anthony Munoz and Jay Glazer. You heard a little bit of him. You'll get more on TV. He also weighs in on where he thinks Aaron Rodgers will end up, I hope. At least I'm going to ask him that. And then uh, Trey Gowdy, as well as Harold Ford. It's a great show, so I hope you enjoy it. Uh, Real quick, uh, Allison just handed me this. Ontario's premier, he's a conservative. His name is Doug Ford. You know his brother is this crazy guy. In Canada, he has declared a state of emergency as the truck convoy protests continue to disrupt traffic. He's going to start arresting them, give them a year in prison and a $100,000 fine maximum. They're going to go arrest all these truckers. They are absolutely insane. How about listening to them and releasing the restrictions? Omicron is falling apart. Incredible. Let's, um, yeah, I guess just to go on with that story, um, they'll convene his cabinet to use legal authority to urgently enact orders that will make crystal clear it is illegal and punishable to block and impede the movement of goods, people, and services. Along long, critical infrastructure. That's why I believe, and I said this today, uh, I just think I might have said in the break, what they need to do in Ottawa, probably most logically, is have a press conference, let everybody know, pick your top three men and women, and come out and speak, say exactly what you want to accomplish, and then put all the pressure on the lawmakers to either f- fulfill it or ignore it but we'll know exactly what they're fighting for because right now they're looking at a Confederate flag and seeing something, some desecration, saying that's them. They're not extremists. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Go to BrianKilme.com or to any of my history books, including The President and Freedom Fighter. I can personalize and sign them. The perfect gift for Valentine's Day. Almost every woman agrees. and man.